You're listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. For more information, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk. Fantastic. If you can open your Bibles at Hebrews chapter 4, which is on page 1203, that'd be great. So page 1203, and we are looking at Hebrews chapter 4. Super. Let's read. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed entered that rest just as God had said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the day of creation of the world. For somewhere he's spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest... And since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains, then, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests for their works, just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Um, So it's quite apt that I should be the one speaking on rest because um, I'm Alistair and I'm the guy that hardly ever speaks on a Sunday morning, but when I do speak, it's because Jamie and Chris want to rest. So so, uh, I think because of their personal rest recently, I'm I'm trotted out. So it's quite fitting I do rest. Uh, So we'll just pray and then we'll uh, we'll look at the uh, end of the passage. Father, we thank you uh, that we can read your word, and we thank you, Father, that we can hear your voice upon the pages of Scripture. Uh, We do pray, Lord God, as we uh, consider these uh, verses before us, that you would work by your Holy Spirit in our lives and in all of uh, our time together, that truly your Son, Jesus Christ, might be glorified, he might be magnified, we might see him more fully, we might know him and love him and 
By the end, we might be caused to worship him more, to rejoice in that rest that he provides. We thank you, Father, for him. Uh, we thank you for all that he has done for us, and we praise you in his, in his precious name. Amen. So, yeah, we're going to, um, we're going to deal with the first uh, 13 verses uh, of this chapter. And then uh, next, I think next time, uh, it's Jamie speaking, and he'll, he'll pick up the, uh, the remaining section of the chapter. Just by way um, of context, last week we saw last week we saw that Jesus is superior to Moses. Moses had been uh, the leader of the people of Israel. He'd been the one uh, that was leading them through that wilderness journey. They'd come out of Egypt, and he's leading them, and they're coming to uh, the promised land. But the reality is that that some did not believe what they heard, and that's what we're going to consider. Some did not believe, and so they missed out. And really the point is, if, if Jesus is superior to Moses, then really the stakes are so much higher. If, if, if some missed out because they didn't listen to the message through Moses, then how much more serious is it uh, if we don't listen to the message uh, through Jesus? Now, it's, it's a complicated passage. I'm the guy that normally can make a children's talk complicated, so you probably have every right to be a, a little bit nervous. I'm certainly nervous. Uh, but we're going to try and deal with it in, in under three simple headings to, uh, to kind of keep our thoughts uh, clear and simple. So, so you'll be able to hopefully trace through with me as we go along. So we're going to deal with three F's in the spirit of, um, of a Baptist kind of uh, preaching mechanism. We're going to deal with fear, we're going to deal with faith, and we're going to deal with fulfillment. Fear, there's the danger that some people miss out. Faith, there's only one way in which we enter into rest. And fulfillment, Jesus Christ is the one who is our rest. He is the one who brings us into rest. He is the one who gives rest. If you spend um, any time on the internet at all, you might have come across um, something called TED Talks. Um, I don't know if anyone's heard of TED Talks. TED stands for Technology Entertainment Design. And, And what these things are is they're There are conferences that happen all over the world in different parts. I think some of them happen a lot in America. Um, And they're conferences in which people give, um, people who are experts in a particular field, give what is meant to be a kind of punchy, compelling speech uh, to get you, uh, to get you roused and to get you thinking. Um, You could almost call it, it's like a secular version of church, I suppose, but... Um, but these talks are designed you know, to, to get people thinking. And on one of these occasions, there was a TED Talk entitled How to Be a Better Human. Uh, and the lady, uh, Sandra Dalton-Smith, who's a physician and a researcher and a writer, she outlined in her talk seven types of rest that human beings need. And in short, these were physical rest, mental rest, sensory rest, creative rest, emotional rest, social rest, and spiritual rest. So she was really giving this talk, she was giving this speech just for a few minutes to get people to think about their need of rest and to get people to perhaps think about how they might need to change their lives to ensure they got this uh, rest. She did make a nod, obviously, to the spiritual. She mentioned uh, the spiritual in her talk, but uh, but there was no mention of God uh, when she spoke. So she obviously spoke about the fact that, you know, human beings need rest, we crave rest, 
but she never spoke of God, and in fact, she never spoke of, uh, of any religion of any kind. But she wanted to make this clear distinction that uh, between rest and sleep. And sleep does not necessarily mean you're rested. You ask any of the parents in this room, they can tell you sleep doesn't mean you're rested. Uh, because often when you're disturbed in the night, you can account for the weariness the next morning. Whilst we might agree with many of the things she said, you know, what she said, if, if I was to explain it to you, it was common sense. There was nothing groundbreaking in what she said. But I want to point to you, uh, I want to point your mind and your heart to something more serious and more significant and more telling. And really to what is true rest. And Augustine, as we begin, Augustine, he, he said this, Lord, thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. So the world and we can acknowledge there's a need of rest, but we want to think about what the Bible has to say on rest. Rest in the Bible is a deeply serious and important theological concept. You've already had a glimpse of that from Mark as he shouted out uh, the answer during the, uh, the kids' talk. So when God created, when God created, formed and fashioned the heavens and the earth, and when he looked at it all, when he surveyed it all, and he looked over his creation, he was able to declare it was very good. By the seventh day, he had finished that creative act, and he rested. But he didn't, he didn't rest because he was tired. Isaiah says, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. So if God wasn't tired, why did he rest? Why did God rest at the end of creation? And what does that have to teach us about rest? Well, he rested because he had finished his initial act of creation. And when he rested, it wasn't the last time that he worked, but it was that he had laid the foundation. He had finished the heavens and the earth. He blessed that day, that seventh day, according to his word and according to his will. And he made it distinct from other days. So he made it holy. He made it significant. And he prepared for his people a Sabbath. And that, that Sabbath is commanded as part of God's law. His people were to keep it. Six days a Jew would have their face in the soil. On the seventh day they would look up to the God of heaven, they would contemplate the one who made them, the one who had redeemed them, the one who had saved them. So the rest of God that we need to think about is this rest of God delighting in his work. He surveys it all and he sees that it is good. He is delighting in the work that he has made and he's enjoying his creation. As we go through Genesis, we see that this rest becomes all the more important. Because what is ultimately going to happen is that Adam and Eve are going to disobey God. And one of the things that God is going to say in relation to that is he's going to say, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. What was once a delight, 
you know, where Adam could now work the ground when he was working the ground before, and it was a delight, it was a joyful thing. There was fellowship with God. Now there's pain. Now it's painful labor. Now it's toil. Now it's heavy going. Now instead, when he experiences uh, his work, it's back-breaking. He's weary. He's irritable. Sin has come in, and this has spoiled uh, his enjoyment of things, and it's spoiled uh, his work. And in that moment, and through the Bible, the search for rest begins. And you see that when we come to Noah, because Noah's name means rest. And when you look at the moment uh, where they speak of Noah before he's born, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. There is a search beginning for rest in the Bible. There is a search beginning for someone who will bring rest, and we know that it's not going to be Noah. We know that when Noah comes out of the ark, even though there's been deliverance, that's not the end to the painful toil. Ultimately, uh, in the context of what we're considering today, God had promised the people of Israel, he had promised in the Old Testament to bring them into the promised land. He had promised to bring them into rest. He'd said to Moses on one occasion, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. But we know that when they eventually came into the promised land, they did not enjoy rest. And that is what we need to consider and contemplate as we think about these verses in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 3, uh, we saw that Jesus is superior to Moses. And what he, the writer had done is that he had brought Psalm 95 into the thoughts and minds of his readers, into the thoughts and minds of those believers, those Jewish Christians who were tempted to go away from Jesus Christ, who were tempted to turn back and go back to Judaism. And he shows them from Psalm 95 so that they can understand that the rest of God was not the, the land itself. The rest of God was ultimately being with God, enjoying God. And there was something bigger in view. And when he's going through these verses and when he's going through the word of God in this way, He's showing them that, that reality. So as we begin, you look at verse 1 of the chapter. He says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found, may be found to have fallen short of it. In, in our NIV, it's, it says careful, but in other translations, you'll see that it's actually fear. And that's why I want, to, I want us to think for a moment about this reality of fear. There is a warning from the past to these Christians that there are some people who heard good news, they heard the message of God, they heard the promises of God, and yet they didn't believe. There were those who were amongst the people of God, and yet they didn't receive the message that God gave. They didn't receive the word of God. What had happened in the, in the context of the Old Testament, and you find this in Numbers 13 and 14, is that you know, God... Um, God had commanded that the people go and send for an investigation into the land. There were to be spies who would go out. Those spies would go out into the land and they would investigate it. So before the people of Israel uh, would go into the land, they needed to have this spy mission. And, and Moses gives instruction and he explains that, you know, I want you to find out what's the land like. And I want you to find out what, what are the people like and, and get some fruit back. And what happens is there are leaders of the tribes, they go, they, they undertake this mission and they come back and they stand there and they stand there with fruit in their hand. They stand there carrying this huge 
volume of grapes. They're, they're speaking to the people and, and they're saying, and they're ultimately saying it's just as God promised. The land is flowing with milk and honey. God has said it. It's true. And they said, and they said it was just as Moses had told them to investigate that they'd been able to get this fruit, they'd secured it, and they come back, there's evidence in front of the people that God's word is true. But then the tone changes. And what happens is they, they ultimately start to discourage the people because they say, well, well the enemy's, the enemy's bigger. The, the cities are large and they're fortified. And, and people start to say, we, we can't do this. God has promised it, but we can't do it. You know, it wasn't the case that those spies stood there and said, well, God's lied. You know, it, it, it's not as he described. That They could stand there with clear evidence that God's word is true. They could stand there with specific example that God's word is true. And yet they discouraged the people. And what happened was those people didn't believe. Those people didn't believe and they missed out on the opportunity to enter into the promised land. And for the readers of Hebrews, and for the reality that we need to consider today, there is the possibility that people can hear the good news, they can hear the message of God's rest, and yet they never believe it. They see the evidence that God's word is true, and yet they don't receive it. The the truth in front of us in these passages is that there were people amongst the community of Israel and they hadn't believed. There were people who were amongst the, the nation. They'd seen God's, uh, God's works. And yet they did not, uh, they did not submit to God's authority. And so they rejected the message and they lost that opportunity. And ultimately the writer to the Hebrews is saying, there are similarities between your situation and theirs. They heard good news and you've heard good news. They saw the works of God and you've seen the works of God. They've had privilege and you've had privilege. And instead of standing upon the promises of God, there were people who merely stood amongst the people of God. And they weren't truly, they weren't truly believing the message that God, have, that God had given. And that is a stark warning. It is a, it is a warning that if they turn back, and if they go away from Jesus Christ, and if they return to Judaism and they go back and, and reject God's message at this moment in time, then they face a far greater consequence. They face something more serious, and they need to be alert to the danger. And it's not the case that we as Christians then, that we live in fear, that we live our Christian lives terrified that we might go away. It's that we as Christians need to be alert to the danger. We need to see the reality that there is, there is, it is possible for some to hear good news and never believe it. It's not that this passage is saying that a person can lose their salvation. From the word of God, it is clear you cannot lose your salvation. But we should be alert to the danger and alert to the reality and alert to the warning and see from the example and see uh, from the past the disobedience of these people and what consequence they faced. You know, one of the examples in our modern time is, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of a chap called Bart Ehrman. 
Mark Ehrman is an American New Testament scholar, and he focuses on textual criticism of the New Testament, and his, his life's work is to attack Christianity. Bart Ehrman once said, For most of my life I was a devout Christian, believing in God, trusting in Christ for salvation, knowing that God was actively involved in this world. During my young adulthood, I firmly believed in the Bible as the inspired and inerrant word of God. He struggled with what he considered to be contradictions in the book of, in, in the Gospel of Mark. He thought that there were contradictions and he went, he took this issue to his, to his Bible college professor. His Bible college professor replied, maybe Mark just made a mistake. And that was the beginning of Bart Ehrman abandoning the Christian faith. And it happened over many years. It took 20 years for Bart Ehrman to eventually turn his back completely on Christianity and set his life's work about being, uh, about attacking the Christian faith. You know, he, he spent another 20 years in churches wrestling with these issues. Now, it's not, it's not a problem that he asked the question. It's not a problem that we ask questions. But the issue is that ultimately Bart Ehrman didn't believe in God's word. He had professed faith, but he hadn't ultimately received good news. Uh, And the antidote to this is what is said of Abraham in Romans, where it says, Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Our hearts are prone to wander. We admit that regularly. We know our own weakness. The danger is within. And sadly, it wasn't Canaanites. It wasn't Canaanites who uh, disrupted the people. It was the Israelites. But ultimately, the answer to a wandering heart is to trust and stand upon the promises of God. The focus of our minds needs to be Jesus Christ. It needs to be for us to fix our thoughts upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and we are able because we look to the one who gives strength to the weary. We are able because we look to him. He is the one who gives rest. And whilst we might hear voices in the church, people who suggest that we need to change things, we need to, we need to alter the word of God, we need to change the gospel, things aren't acceptable in today's day and age. That ultimately we need to remain steadfast and we need to fix our thoughts on Jesus Christ and we need to focus on the power of the word of God in our lives. In these verses, as we come to the reality of faith, it's important to see, it's important to see what strengthens our faith personally. Faith is the means of entering into the rest. The word of God confirms that in verse three. He says to them, now we who have believed enter that rest. He's saying to them, you have believed in Jesus Christ and you have that rest now. Others have missed it. Others have not believed in the message of good news, but you have. You have believed the message, so keep on going. Faith has unlocked the door. You have entered into rest, and Jesus Christ is the one who gives you rest. He also says the works have been completed from the foundation of the world. Genesis 2 is that confirmation that God's rest has been prepared and God's rest has been promised. And in verses 3 and 4, he says that God had declared on oath in his anger that they should never enter into rest. It is repeatedly throughout the passage, the word of God that is affirming to these believers that you are safe, that you stand on his promises and that you rest in his finished work. 
There's a story of a rich Christian who had a large uh, company of, of employees, and many of them um, owed him money. He was constantly trying to teach them um, about Christianity. One day he, he hit upon a plan. He posted um, a notice for his employees to see that, to see that said, all those who will come to my office between 11 and 12 o'clock on Thursday morning to present an honest statement of their debts will have them cancelled at once. The debtors read the notice with a great deal of scepticism, and on Thursday morning, although they'd gathered in the street in front of the office, not one of them went to the door. Instead, they gossiped and complained about their employer and ridiculed the notice that he had posted. They said it didn't make sense. Finally, at 11.45, one man jumped forward, dashed up the steps into the office and presented, and presented his statement of debts. Why are you here? The rich man asked him. Because you promised to cancel all the debts of those who would come as you instructed, the other replied. And do you believe the promise? Yes, I do. Why do you believe it? Persisted the employer. Because although it was too much for me to understand, I know that you were a good man who would not deceive anyone. The rich man took the bill and marked it, paid in full. At which time the poor man, overcome, cried out, I knew it. I told them so. They said it couldn't be true, and now I'm going to, sh- and now I'm going out to show them. Wait, said his benefactor. It's not quite twelve o'clock. The others are not entitled to see any special proof of my sincerity. When the clock struck twelve, the forgiven debtor ran out, waving his receipt in face of, in the face of his fellows. With a mad rush, they made for the door, but it was too late. The door was locked. See, that man, he he trusted what his employer said. He believed the good news he heard. He saw the notice on the door and he ultimately went and entered into the office and he declared his debts. He gave that statement. And what was it that he said? He said, because although it was too much for me to understand, I know that you are a good man who would not deceive anyone. When we hear the good news, when we hear, when we hear the reality of God's salvation through Jesus Christ, and when we believe in his promise of rest, this is what we ultimately stand on. The Lord The Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. So although we might feel weary and although we find our way hard, although the Christian life can be difficult and there are temptations to turn away, the reality is that we have the word of God giving us that assurance, just as we should be alert to the danger We should also know that the word of God gives us the assurance that God is good. It gives us the assurance that what God has promised, he's able to perform. It gives us the assurance that when we have believed in Jesus Christ and when we have received him, we have that rest. And yet that rest is still something uh, yet to come. It's still something off in the future. When Moses and Joshua were involved in this whole exercise of bringing the people to the promised land, The passage shows to us that there was another day spoken of. He says, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. He's showing from the text, he's showing from the psalm that ultimately... 
There is always go, there was always going to be another day. When they came into the promised land, that wasn't the end of the story. They didn't even experience rest because they didn't truly enjoy the fellowship of God. They were still disobedient to God. There was still the problem of painful toil. There was still the issue of sin that hadn't been dealt with. And yet he's saying to them, a Sabbath rest remains for the people of God. It's God's rest that we enter into. Just like he appointed that seventh day and he blessed it and he made it holy. So God has appointed a certain day and he has called it today. And the opportunity still remains and the opportunity is still open. And that is why they have not missed out. And their faith in Jesus Christ is faith in one who gives rest and guarantees rest. And God's word isn't confined just to the past. When they look at those passages and they read the word of God, they are assured that their faith is in the one who will fulfill it. Moses and Joshua, it wasn't, they did, they could not ever bring the people into true rest. But Jesus Christ is the one who does. And yet the word of God, the word of God is living and active. There is that past example in his word. There is that present assurance from his word. And there is that future reality that his word is living and active. His word, it pierces, it penetrates, it judges, it assesses. It sees a person's true state and it sees the person's uh, true response to this message of good news. And and that the word of God is what what is able to sustain them. You know, the Bible says that, that God created the heavens and the earth, that he spoke and he commanded and it stood fast. And it also says in Hebrews that that Jesus is the one who is sustaining creation by his word. When you heard the message of the gospel and you believed in Jesus Christ, God was creating. He was making you a new creation because of his word. And when you live your Christian life, though you are weary, though the way is hard, though at times you're tempted to give up and to give in, to abandon, God sustains you with his word. It's his word that's living and active. It's his word that is powerful. It penetrates and it reveals. And what those final verses really show to us, they are really showing to us that that God cannot, God's word not only assesses the innermost detail of each individual life here, God's word assesses the each individual detail of each of our individual's life, individual lives. God's word assesses the lives of all. It is a universal thing. There is power in the word of God. There is power in the word of God to give us rest. There is power in the word of God to sustain us towards rest. There is power in the word of God to judge and determine what is the response to rest. And ultimately, this is all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ died upon the cross, he went through agony and he went through pain. And he went through the judgment of God. And he sacrificed. He sacrificed himself for our sake. It was that he went into painful toil. He went into pain and an experience of God's judgment so that we could be brought into rest. And rest is not us coming into a particular land. Rest is us coming to Jesus Christ, believing on him and receiving the rest that he has promised. He said... Come to me, all who are, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
It's not the case in the Christian life, and it's not the case when coming into God's rest that we do nothing. You know, sometimes we can have this idea that we're almost, or that there's, you know, it's a fanciful notion that, that when we're in heaven, it, you sit back, you relax, you don't do anything, life's over, uh, you're exhausted from the journey, there's, there's just nothing to be done. No, God, God's work, as Chris has already explained, when God saves us, and when God brings us into rest, he transforms the painful toil. He changes it so that his, for, because he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We are, we have a new purpose as believers. It's not that we, in serving and worshipping God, that, you know, it's, it's one complete joyful thing and that we never feel weary again. There is, there is hardship in Christian service. There is hardship in Christian experience. But the reality is that God's word and faith in Jesus Christ has brought us into worshipping and fellowshipping with God. We enjoy his Sabbath rest. We are, we receive his blessing. We know his power and his presence. What was lost by sin, what was spoiled because of the curse is ours in Jesus Christ and we can cling to him and he holds on to us. And we might feel weary and our grip might feel faint. We might be tempted by what's around us and by the, the difficulties of the day, but ultimately it is the Lord Jesus Christ who fulfills it. He is the one who brings us into that rest that is eternal. It's a rest that we possess now. We have fellowship with God now, but we know by our own experience that the hardship is not over. But God brings us into a new heavens and a new earth. He brings us into his presence where there is no sin anymore, where there will be ultimate rest. If you look back to Genesis and you see in Genesis 2, the the seventh day didn't have a morning and an evening in the text. Each day before that, he had said morning, evening, morning, evening, or evening, morning, whichever way round it is. But ultimately, the seventh day, there was no mention of that because God's Sabbath rest is eternal. When we trust in the Lord Jesus, when we rely on him, we cease our own works on our own efforts. We put that all to one side. They weren't to go back to Judaism, weren't to go back to trying to keep the law, trying to earn favor and do what was right in God's sight. That was at an end. They now enter, they now enter into what God is giving as a free gift of blessing because Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that rest because he is the one Uh, He is the one who has appointed rest. He's the one who has prepared rest. He's the one who fulfills the rest that he's promised. Of the Son of God in Isaiah, it says, The Sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. God has promised rest for his people. His Son speaks. His Son has come. His son has given us rest. We know that the gospel is a matter of life and death. There is that warning and that stark example in the past that if we turn away from this, then the consequences are severe. He spoke about perishing in the passage. But we should hold fast and not turn away. We should keep on being sustained by the word of God. We should trust it in its entirety. Despite what a man like Bart Ehrman says, the word of God does not contain error. It is true when it records what happens in history. It does not contradict science. It does not promise us things that God cannot give. Rest is ours and rest can be yours if you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ today. If you're simply physically present with the people of God, but you've never truly trusted 
in the promises of God and you haven't received Jesus Christ as your saviour, then rest can be yours by believing in him. Rest can be yours by taking God at his word. And we know that rest is fulfilled in Jesus Christ when we eventually, the painful toil will end. Eventually the weariness will will be a, a forgotten thing because we will be with him. We will be in that day of blessing, that day of holiness, that day that he has appointed. And we will be there because he sustained us by his powerful, living and active word. And that is what we stand on today. And that is what we believe and we trust. And that is why we keep going, despite how weary we might feel. I'll just, uh, we'll just pray and we'll thank God uh, for his word. Lord God and Father, we thank you for that rest. We thank you, Father, that you have promised and prepared and appointed rest for your people. We thank you, Lord God, that you have uh, provided the Lord Jesus Christ as the one, the only one who can give us rest. It wasn't Moses. It wasn't Joshua. It wasn't David. It wasn't Noah. All those people were weak. They could not ultimately bring us into rest. But your son, Jesus Christ, is the one. Father, we thank you that it is your word that sustains us. Your word enables us to keep going. Your word is what feeds us. Your word is what keeps us. And we want to stand upon the promises of your word today, knowing that what you have said, you will accomplish. We praise you, Lord God, and we thank you that we can be together today in this way. We ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. To find out more about us, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk.